Next Sunday, we're going to resume our regular schedule of services, including our 11.30 a.m. Spanish service that meets next door on the second floor in the loft. And we would love for you to let others know about that awesome service with Pastor Olmos Corrales. Is, is Pastor Olmos back there somewhere? I don't know if he's in this service. Way in the back. And uh, so, Pastor, we're looking forward to uh, starting a great new year. And... Um, we're going to also start a new series next week called One, uh, O-N-E, One, and how that we are many people, but we are one church for this Lord and Savior we call Jesus Christ and for this community that we love. We are one, and God has called us together in unity to make a difference in our community and in our world, and I want you to be here next week as we kick off that new series called One Church. But today we're finishing out this series for the month of December called Hope is Born. And we've been looking at the Christmas story from a unique perspective this year. And today I want to take you to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Has anyone ever given you directions and then followed up their directions with these words? You can't miss it. That happened to me recently, not when I was driving, but I was at St. Vincent's south side to check on one of our church members and when i arrived at the room the room was empty and i texted the man's wife and she said oh we're actually down on the first floor he is in imaging and she gave me directions and she said you can't miss it well guess what (laughs) i couldn't find imaging on the first floor and so finally i stopped and i asked a person who worked at the hospital could you direct me to imaging And she got this smile on her face, and she said, it's right behind you, right there. And I turned around, and there's a big sign that said, imaging, right there. And so uh, I felt quite foolish and quite blonde in that moment. But anyway, (laughs) sometimes it can be right in front of you, and you can miss it. I'm blonde. I used to be blonde. I'm now getting gray. But uh, sometimes it can be right in front of you, and you can still miss it. And I'm sad that we've just celebrated Christmas and yet millions of Americans really missed it. They thought it was about the presents and the trees and the activities and the days off and the eating. Did I mention the food? The eating. And they thought that was Christmas and they had a great Christmas. And really you can't miss Christmas in America because we focus on it so much with the advertising, with the music, with all of the store uh, propaganda or sales uh, information. We, We can't really miss Christmas. But it is possible to go through Christmas and having missed the significance of Christmas. Christmas is about Christ. Christmas is about Jesus. Nothing wrong with all of those other things. In fact, I love Christmas. But it is sad that so many people celebrate something that they don't even realize the significance of. They enjoy Christmas, but they don't realize Christmas is about God's Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, coming into the world, not only as a baby, but to grow to be a man and to die on a cross to forgive us of our sin and to make us right with God and to give us life that lasts forever with God in heaven. And so many people are oblivious to that. They've missed Christmas. In fact, one of the ways that you can tell they've missed Christmas is after all the Christmas events, they pack Christmas up and put it in the attic and don't really think about Christmas much anymore. 
And don't think about the one whose birthday we were celebrating much anymore. In the story we're going to look at today from Matthew's gospel, we're introduced to someone who absolutely missed Christmas. He missed what it was about. In fact, he was threatened by what Christmas was really about. But also in this same chapter, Matthew chapter 2, we're introduced to a group of people who embraced Christmas. They saw it for what it was. They saw Christmas as being God invading human history. And God's king coming into the world to rule over us in love and grace and righteousness. And the reason I point these two out is because everyone in this room falls into one of those two categories. Either you have missed Christmas or you have received Christ and the significance of Christmas. And I hope that when this service is over, every single one of you will leave this place having understood not only what Christmas is about, but having embraced the Christ child, embracing the Christ man, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, as your own personal Lord and Savior. If you're new to Christianity, you need to understand this is why Christians make such a big deal out of Christmas. And if you are already a follower of Jesus, this may be the way for you to be reminded to rededicate yourself to Christ, not just in December, but throughout the whole year. In Matthew chapter 2, we're introduced to the people we typically call the Magi or the wise men. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, Matthew writes, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. That word, or those words, wise men, translate the word magi. Maybe your translation of the scriptures still call them the magi. It just simply means these were men who uh, were schooled in the study of astrology, and they were studied, or astronomy, and they were uh, schooled in the study of science. They were kind of a blend of science and scholarship and superstition all mixed together. But after Jesus was born, and by this point, months have passed since Jesus was born. By the time the wise men show up on the Christmas scene, it's probably a year after Jesus was born. He's now a, a little baby boy. That's why at our home, whenever Donna sets out our manger scene, she always takes the three wise men and she puts them on the other side of the room. They're, they're, they're over on the other side of the room because she says they haven't gotten there yet. Uh, so... That's her way of reminding us of this fact. And, and so they show up in Jerusalem, and they've got questions. Look at verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, you've noticed, if you were here during our Christmas season, that we did not sing one of those songs that are very familiar to us, We Three Kings. And uh, I don't know if there's a reason why we didn't sing it, but I do remember hearing about some boys that kind of changed up the, the, the words of that. We three kings of Orient are, tried to smoke a rubber cigar. It was loaded and exploded. Now we no longer are. <laughs> and then they would follow that up with, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Uh, so, so maybe that's your remembrance of we three kings. But do you know something about these wise men? The only thing we know about them is found right here in Matthew. And nowhere does the biblical record tell us there were just three of them. 
We really don't know how many there were. And we're only told that they, they came from the east. We don't know really where they're from. Most scholars believe that they came from Mesopotamia, which would be our modern-day Iran or Iraq. It's interesting. That's, those two places are still in the news today. And that these people came that long distance because they had seen a star unlike any other star, a miraculous star that had indicated to them that something special had happened, that the king of the Jews had been born. Most scholars believe that they had, from their centuries earlier, their interactions in Babylon with the Jewish people had heard and learned about the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And to them, they put the pieces together This is what the prophecy said. There's going to come a Messiah one day, king of the Jews who will rule the world in righteousness. And here's a star, unlike any star we've ever seen. And we need to follow that star and see for ourselves where he is. And notice that's what they're looking for. They're asking the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're wanting to find him. But we don't know much about them other than the fact that they're, they're wise men. They've come on the Star Trek looking for the king of the Jews. But we don't know how many there were. We don't know their names. Now, tr- tradition gives us three names. Melchior, uh, Balthazar, Casper. The cathedral in Cologne purports to have their three skulls. Uh, that are buried there in the cathedral. All of that is legend. We don't really know anything about these wise men other than what we've just read right here in Matthew's gospel. Everything else is speculation and it's darkness. And the reason I point this out to you is because I do not believe the gospel writer Matthew included this account of the wise men seeking Jesus so that we could learn about them. That wasn't the point of Matthew including this account in his gospel. Matthew's not asking us to learn more about the Magi. He's wanting us to learn from the Magi. He's wanting us to look at their example and to follow their example. Everything else pales in the darkness, but this one glaring fact that we know, they came to worship him, the newborn king of Israel. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That is what Christmas is really about. It is about recognizing that this one born on that first Christmas morning is none other than the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world who is worthy of our worship. And if we have not been inspired To worship Christ as our Lord and Savior this Christmas season, then we missed Christmas. We really missed what it's all about. That word they use for worship is translated in your Greek New Testament is a composite word. It's actually two words put together. It's it's a prefix and then a a word. The the prefix means uh, forward or towards. And, And then the root word means to kiss. So the word worship in the Greek is translated to kiss toward. 
It was used in ancient Greek language to speak of someone coming before a king and bowing down at their feet and kissing their hand or kissing their feet as a symbol, as an indication that you are superior. You are the sovereign. I am the subject. And it's also used to speak of deity. And these wise men have come to fall down before Jesus and to admire him and to adore him and to submit their lives to him as the sovereign, the king over their lives. They've come to worship. And Matthew includes this in his gospel because he's inviting everyone who reads his gospel or everyone who hears his gospel read to follow the example of the wise men, to join them in worshiping Jesus as the Son of God. So while they are thrilled at the birth of this child who is the king of the Jews, there's someone else who is not so thrilled. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You see, the wise men recognized Jesus as the rightful king to be worshipped. But Herod viewed Jesus as a rival king to be wiped out. When he heard that these wise men from the east had come seeking the newborn king of the Jews, it terrified him. He was troubled, the Bible says. It literally means he was shaken to his core. He was greatly disturbed. He was upset. Why? Because he saw Jesus not as the rightful king to be worshipped, but as a rival king to be wiped out. This Herod is none other than Herod the Great, as history now calls him. And he was great in so many ways. He became uh, king of Judea when the Romans uh, placed him in that position. Rome had conquered Israel. Rome had conquered the whole known world. And so to keep control of the Holy Land, they put one of their own there. And all the Jewish people pretty much looked at King Herod as a, a false king. But he was smart. He was a hard worker. He brought relative peace to the land. He was fiercely loyal to Rome. He embarked on some great building projects where you can still see some of those ruins today that have still stood the test of time. He even rebuilt the temple of Israel where it surpassed the glory of Solomon's temple. It's an amazing feat indeed. But he was also fiercely paranoid. Paranoid that someone would take his power away from him, take his throne, take his kingdom away from him. So he ruled with absolute cruelty and authority. He exterminated anyone that he saw as a threat to his, uh, his rule, including his own sons, so none of them could ever succeed him to the throne. And he even killed his favorite wife, Mariamne. I don't know what he did with his least favorite wife, but his favorite wife, he killed her because he viewed her and her offspring 
and her side of the family as a threat to his authority. And when he hears that these wise men are looking for the newborn king of the Jews, he is greatly troubled. And all of Jerusalem is now troubled. You know how it is? If mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. Well, in that day, if Herod's not happy, nobody in Jerusalem's happy because there's no telling what he's going to do to us. In his anger and in his rage, Herod regards Jesus as a rival king to be wiped out. So look at what he does in verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ child was to be born. According to the wise men, they knew when Christ had been born because they saw his star appear in the sky. Now Herod wants to know where he has been born. So he calls all the religious leaders and scholars of his day together and inquires of them, what does the Old Testament say? What, and he wouldn't have called it the Old Testament. What do our prophets say about where the Messiah is to be born? Verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They quoted to him Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is what the prophet said, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Now we know when he was born, now we know where he was born. Look at verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now let me ask you a question. Knowing what you know about Herod, do you think he's telling the truth when he says he wants to go and worship this newborn king of the Jews? Not at all. This is self-serving. He is using the wise men for his own advantage. He is wanting them to be his personal spies to go and find this child so that no one will cause alarm, so that the family of Jesus won't flee for safety. And that gives Herod time to show up in Bethlehem with his henchmen to slaughter this rival to his throne. And that is what he is up to. Not sincere, but sinister. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So unlike Herod's response of absolute trouble, distress, terror, the wise men find Jesus and they are filled with exceeding great joy. The questions that have haunted their dreams have finally been answered. The ambition and desire of their lives has been fulfilled. The one that they have been diligently looking for, that they came to worship him, has finally been found. 
and they are filled with joy. Verse 11, and going into the house, this is another reason we know that months have gone by since Jesus was born and was in the stable. Now he's in the house. It says they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they find him, they worship him. They literally do what the word worship means. They fall down before him in adoration. They fall down before him in submission. And they praise him for who he really is. He is the rightful king of the Jews. And he is the rightful king of their lives. And they have humbled themselves before him. And their worship turns into giving. They give gifts to him. They give gold. And they give two types of incense. Frankincense and myrrh. Most scholars believe that those two types of incense would have been very valuable. And they would have served the wise men well as they traveled those months long journey from Mesopotamia to Israel. And they could have used those kind of like we used to use traveler's checks. You could... You could buy and sell with precious incense like that. And they give these precious, valuable gifts that are worthy of a king to this little baby boy named Jesus. A whole different sermon, but by the way, that money and those precious bits of incense will serve this family well because they're going to have to flee for their lives and go to Egypt and live in a foreign land. And these goods are going to help sustain them while they're there. So even here, God was providing for their future. Even in this act of worship. In fact, look at verse 12. It says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. As far as they knew, Herod was sincere in wanting to find Jesus and worship him. And so they were going to go back and tell him, we found him, we worshiped him, we gave our gold incense. And let me show you where he is, which household he is. This is the child. But in a dream, God warns them that Herod's intentions were murderous. And so they fool Herod and they don't return to him. By the way, during the same time, Joseph is also warned in a dream by God through an angel. That you need to leave Bethlehem. You need to flee to Egypt. Because Herod the Great is after Jesus to kill him. And so Herod, or so Joseph, takes Mary and Jesus and flees to Egypt away from Herod's rage. And when Herod discovers that he has been duped, he is absolutely filled with rage. And he decides that he is still going to go through with his plan. And rather than killing one baby, he'll kill every baby he finds. Since he doesn't know exactly which one is the rival to his throne, he'll wipe them all out. And that's what he does. He sends his men to Bethlehem and they slaughter every boy two years old and under. Demographers now say there were probably over two dozen infant boys at that time in Bethlehem. And no wonder the prophet had declared the mournful cries of mothers that would come out of Bethlehem and Ramah. 
I can't imagine such grief. All for one reason. Rather than seeing Jesus as the rightful king to be worshipped, Herod saw Jesus as a rival king to be wiped out. Nothing would stand in the way of his power, his position, his prestige, his plans. He would wipe out every child he could find in order to get to Jesus. And that, my friend, is the danger and the choice that we each must face. There's only two choices. We will either view Jesus as the rightful king to be worshipped, or we will view Jesus as a rival king to be wiped out. Sometimes we see Jesus as a threat to us in our plans, in our pleasures, in our pursuits, and what we want to do with our lives, and we see Jesus in the way of us doing what we want to do in our morals, in our activities, and so we wipe him out. Now, none of us are as murderous as Herod is, so instead, we do it more politely. We turn our back. I don't believe all that stuff. Superstition. We stop reading our Bible we stop going to church because we don't like to be confronted with the claims of Jesus Christ on our lives. Or if we still want to be religious, we change Jesus to fit our politics. We change Jesus to fit our morals. We change Jesus to fit our lifestyle. Rather than saying, this is the day the Lord has made, we present the Lord our day has made. And we worship that false God. But we won't do anything that makes us bend our knee and humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to Jesus. Because if we do that, we have to acknowledge you are the boss, you are the master, you are the Lord, you are God in flesh, and I am your humble servant awaiting your orders. Sadly, there are many people in our world who view Jesus as a rival to what they want and they've rejected him, and they've pushed him aside. But thank God there are so many who see him for who he really is. He's not a rival to my life. He's the rightful king of my life. He is my God. He is my creator. He is my redeemer. He is the one who will go to a bloody cross and give his life for me. Listen, the wise men worshipped him. And as one preacher said, Wise men still seek him, and wise men still worship him. But think about it. You know more about this Jesus than they ever dreamed to know. You know the rest of the story about this baby that was born. You know how he grew up and grew in stature, and he grew in wisdom, and he grew in favor with God and men, according to Luke chapter 5, or 2, verse 52. He grew up and had a beautiful life. You know that when he became a man and he began his public ministry, that the, even his critics had to say he went about just doing good. I can't find anything wrong in Jesus. We can't find any deceit in him. We can't find hatred. We can't find lies in him. We can't find selfishness in him. We can find nothing in him but good. Full of grace and truth. That's what we saw in him. And we know that he went demonstrating that he is the Messiah by how he preached with such authority like no one had ever heard before. 
that he demonstrated he is the rightful king and the Messiah by the miracles he performed, who else but God in flesh would fulfill those 300 prophecies of the Old Testament that foretold the coming Messiah? And he went about healing the sick and raising the dead and forgiving the unlovely and the sinful. And if that wasn't enough to prove that he's the rightful king of kings and the Lord of all lords, he voluntarily goes to a cross and he dies for us. Kings don't normally die for their people. Usually people die for the king. But our king died for the people. Usually shepherds don't die for the sheep. Sheep die for the shepherds. But our shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. And he went as a volunteer. He said to his own disciples, I have the power to lay my life down. I lay it down willingly. No one takes my life from me. I give it willingly. And if I have power to lay my life down, I also have power to take it up again. And he went to a bloody cross. And he stretched out his arms. And he died for the very ones who rejected him as their rightful king. And if that wasn't enough to prove that he's the rightful king, three days later, he walked out of that tomb physically alive. And he appeared to his disciples. And in a matter of 40 days, he appeared to over 500 people that he is none other than the resurrected son of God. He is the rightful king to be worshipped. And dear friend, you know all of this is true. So we have no excuse not to fall down before Christ in humble adoration, in humble submission, worshiping him and giving ourselves to him. It's not about gold anymore. It's not about frankincense or myrrh anymore that we give him. It's about giving him our love, giving him our loyalty, giving him our time, giving him our talents, giving him our family, giving him our future, and trusting him with it all as an act of worship. Because Jesus is worthy of worship. He is your rightful king. So my prayer today is that you will close out 2019 and God willing begin 2020 with Jesus as the rightful king over your life. Jesus, you are king, not me. The New Year's resolution that will have a positive impact on your whole life is to respond to Jesus as your rightful king to be worshipped. That'll change everything else in your life. You remember the Cracker Jacks? I used to get those as a kid. That would be one of the afternoon snacks my mom would have for me when I came home from school. We lived in Corsicana, Texas. I came home and of course she had some caramel covered apples ooh, and a box of Cracker Jacks waiting on me and a cold Coca-Cola in a glass bottle like God intended. I'm just saying. And that was my snack. But you remember in the Cracker Jacks boxes, there were, there were prizes. And one particular prize I got um, was a, a puzzle. It was a flat puzzle 
that had a frame around it with little movable squares, and you would have to slide the little pieces around to get the picture right. You remember those? And I discovered when you get one piece in just the right place, all the others came together. And for some of you, that missing piece of the puzzle of your life is Jesus. He's got to be first in your life. You're wondering why things aren't going well? Maybe it's because you haven't let Jesus be the rightful king of your life. Is there some area of your life that you've said yes to Jesus, but other areas you said no to him? It's time to say yes to him. Let him be the king. Let him be the boss. Let him be the one worthy of your worship in every aspect of your life. Because when you get that right, everything else will fall into place. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for these, my friends. I'm so thankful for each and every one of them. And I'm thankful for how much you love them. And how that you've got a wonderful purpose and a plan for their lives. Not always easy. Things don't always go our way. But God, I pray that as they close out this year and they get ready for the new year. That they would make that one New Year's resolution that will impact every other aspect of their life. They will make the decision right here, right now. I am going to worship Jesus as the rightful king of my life. I'm going to put him first. He's not just going to be someone I think about once in a while or on holidays. He's going to be first in my life. Now God, as we make that resolution, we're also going to at the same time, with the same breath, confess to you we cannot keep it. Not in our own strength. Because we're weak. We're frail, we're self-centered, we're small. But that's okay, because what we can't do, you can do through us. And I pray that each one of us will lean on the Holy Spirit of God for the strength we need to put Jesus first each day. And to know that even when we mess up and we don't always get it right, that he is still the king who loves us. He's still the king who gave himself for us. He is still the king who is coming again one day for us. And we can trust him. So while we can't go back and do it over 2019, we can today say, God, I recognize Jesus as the rightful king of my life to be worshipped. He is worthy of my worship. So Father, may each Christian rededicate themselves to you. Father, I pray that part of their rededication and putting Jesus first will be to make the local church that Jesus died for and established a priority in their life. We need each other in this community and this world needs us together being the body of Christ in this community. So Father, would you help us to make the local church a priority in our lives with our attendance, with our prayers, with our service, with our giving with our following the spiritual leaders that you've placed over us, as long as they're being biblical and ethical. And Father, there could be somebody in this room today who for the first time they need Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. They've not even started with that. But today they could make this what Christmas is really about by receiving him as their personal Lord and Savior.
worshiping him and dedicating their lives to him. So, Father, if there's somebody in this room today that needs Jesus, I pray that right now in the stillness of this moment, they will confess their sin to Jesus, receive his promised forgiveness, and leave this place today knowing the assurance that they are saved from the penalty of their sin because they've called on the name of the Lord. And Jesus promised whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. So God, we rejoice today at those who are making their, their profession of faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on this day. And I pray they won't be ashamed, but they'll let somebody know, today I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I think about my dad that night when he called us into the living room. And he said, alcohol has had me long enough. Jesus can have me now. Father, I pray that there's a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife, a teenager or a young child in this room, a senior adult or a single adult in this room who will say, this other stuff has had me long enough. Jesus can have me now. It's in his name we pray. Amen.